Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt. Kate Forbes was a relatively little-known figure outside of Scotland until last week when she announced that she would run to succeed the resigning Nicola Sturgeon as head of the Scottish National Party and therefore also the First Minister of Scotland. But just seven days later, she and her strong Christian beliefs have now been splashed all over the news up and down the UK. A member of the quite conservative Free Church of Scotland, Forbes has made no secret of the fact that her faith is not only central to who she is, but also informs her values and her politics deeply. And it is this which is causing enormous problems for her nascent campaign to become SNP leader and Scotland's most senior politician. She's been grilled over her views on gay marriage, having children outside of wedlock, gender reassignment and much else. Some, including senior SNP figures, have decried her social conservatism or insisted it is simply unacceptable in a secular democracy for someone with such strong Christian convictions to run for high office. Others have in turn accused the media of running a hateful campaign against someone from a religious minority and stifling legitimate freedom of belief. Today's newscast is going to try and understand a bit more about who Kate Forbes is and whether her evangelical beliefs have torpedoed her political campaign to become First Minister already. Later, I'm going to be joined by Sam Hales and Emma Fowl from Premier Christianity magazine to discuss how evangelical Christians are received in politics today and whether Forbes is suffering from double standards. But first, let's hear a bit more about who she is as a Christian and as a politician from the woman herself. In 2021, she spoke with Tim Farron, himself one of the most prominent evangelicals in British politics, for his premier podcast, A Mucky Business. After sharing stories from her upbringing as the child of missionaries in India, Forbes was asked how she got into politics in the first place. Uh, accident. Um, so I was minding my own business, really, uh, working in as, a, as an accountant. And the opportunity came to stand for election, to be part of the selection process. And truth be told, I really didn't expect to be selected. Mm. So I was up against some fairly uh, impressive characters some former or current councillors, people who had been around the party for a long time. And I looked at myself thinking, too young, too immature, too uh, little life experience, but went for it. The, the door was opening and, and I always feel that when a door is opening, you've got to come up with a really good justification for not at least trying to go through it. And I had no great justification. And I'd also been... You know, very clear that it's easy to talk about changing the world or pontificating on the great um, flaws in, 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 in political policy. But to actually step up and do something about it is a lot harder. So that was a challenge. Um, it's a challenge I wanted to, to, to see if I could rise to. So I stood for selection and was selected as the candidate somewhat um, out of the blue. Kate, 
I check with the producers of this podcast and although, you know, BBC are obviously our major rival, um, I'm allowed to mention the fact that I heard your Nick Robinson interview, which I thought was outstanding. Um, and I, I know I would have had to have got into a time capsule for this for the case, but I kind of think I wish I'd listened to you being interviewed by Nick Robinson before I'd uh, myself wandered into certain bear pits when I was um, leader of the Liberal Democrats. And indeed, indeed, since you're very much in the public eye. You're not shy about talking about your faith. You do it in a very respectful and appropriate way. But that obviously invites tricky questions. How do you prepare for them and how do you deal with them? I think the first step is to know what you believe and why. Those of us in the church or those of us with Christian friends often just accept truth without ever querying it. And I realised the more involved I got in the messiness of the world or in in the murky business of of politics, that you really need to know why you believe and what you believe so that when it comes to staking your claims, you know why. And it's a lot easier to defend a position that you inherently believe than defending a position that you just think Christians should hold. Mm. I think that's the first thing. But the second thing is, You've got to figure out how to build a bridge to your listeners. And by the way, I'm almost you know, embarrassed about going through this because I feel like I've made lots of mistakes along the way and I've got lots of things wrong. And actually, if the Nick Robinson interview was anything to go by, it was the result of feeling like I hadn't got answers right in previous interviews. Mm. So, you know, it, there is trial and error and and sometimes you connect sometimes you don't but it's how what, what relevance does the gospel have to 21st century uk you know how would you sit next to somebody in a train and explain why you believe what you believe because if it doesn't resonate with them then it's not going to make sense on a podcast or in a media interview so i think that's the second thing is what is the world out there hearing when we speak you've got to make sure they're hearing what you intend to say rather than hearing something because of all the baggage and the filtering that goes on with Christian views. And those would be the, the, the two, two things. And, and it is just, it just practice. And like I say, I have got things so wrong in town halls in the past. I've got things wrong in media interviews. I've got things wrong. We're just speaking to friends and family. And I think through God's grace, sometimes things connect in ways that I can't control in and of myself. Yeah, he absolutely. He is refining us. But um, I think that was great wisdom, which I think many people can learn an awful lot from, including, I'm sure, our, our listeners. Let's just look at the kind of practicality. So obviously I see um, politics and, uh, and, and the, the leading politicians from Scotland very much from a Westminster angle. And so I see plenty of your colleagues, some of whom are good friends of mine um, from the SNP. And they seem an interesting bunch, and I mean that in a really kind way. Um, first of all, um, there there are some, I think, within the SNP in Westminster who feel almost to be kind of almost militant secularists. And on the other hand, I can think of a number of people who are committed Bible-believing Christians, Roman Catholics. There are people who, uh, who, who you know deeply hold their faith. How do you think they rub along? How do you do you think that there's compromise on the Christian side that's uh, too much of a compromise? Do you see any compromise from the other side? One of the things that's always attracted me about the SNP is genuinely how diverse it is. Now, 
that the public characterization of the SNP may not present that. But I've always seen it uh, from branch members all the way through to the Westminster group, that there's a diversity because there is a, a primary objective in terms of Scotland's constitutional future. But that means that people of diverse political views and diverse backgrounds and diverse, perhaps, religious views can come together to support that, that, that objective. Now, in government, inevitably, you need to settle on particular policy positions. And as you and I both know, compromise is the name of the political game. You know, it, it's part and parcel. And all of those individuals will be figuring out where their red lines are. And, but ultimately, the, the, it, it attracts a diversity of background and a view. Uh, and that's why I feel like there is a tolerance internally for me and whatever I, 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 I present. And the same will be true of, of the Westminster group. With any political party, there's robust debate in private. You know, I imagine those groups meetings in Westminster, I'm not usually members of those group meetings, are very robust in the same way that the SNP group in Holyrood is, has robust debate, as that, and that should be the case. And then there's a united front. I wonder really, just as we get towards the end, I mean, um, to paraphrase David Cameron, I was the future once, and you definitely are, I would say, from my perspective, somebody who was on a, a very uh, upward vertical career trajectory. That's what it feels like. Um, and you're certainly in a very, very senior role at a relatively young age. I just wonder if you wouldn't mind you know, just reflecting. How do you think Christians um, should think about ambition in politics? Is it OK for a Christian in politics to be ambitious for themselves and for their future? Thanks very much, Tim. And I think you're um, unfairly kind, because if anybody looks at my career, they'll see that I'm where I am by accident, or there's another word perhaps that those of us of faith would use in such circumstances. But in terms of ambition, I think that Christians should absolutely 100% be ambitious for excellence. They should be ambitious for being the best they can be, not because they get praise, but because we've all been given gifts and we'll give an account for how we have used those gifts. And you know, I am one of my all time heroes is Eric Liddell. My favorite film is Chariots of Fire. And he says in the film, I don't know if he said it in reality, that when he when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. He was made to run and he ran well, but he had his own red lines, which in his case mm. was running on, on, on a Sunday. So we all need our, our lines, but God has given each of us gifts and he does not want us to keep those gifts in a blocked box he wants us to use those gifts and in using them so long as we are sending the praise back at him and not claiming the the, the credit for ourselves and becoming proudful and and prideful sorry and, and conceited then I think we have a duty to be ambitious and we ultimately need to follow God's leading William Wilberforce of course famously decided that thus far no further in terms of his own political career because he could best serve at that level so the ambition is for being excellent, not for status or perhaps for position. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us, Emma and Sam, as always. Um, 
literally as we record a few hours ago, Kate Forbes has formally announced she will uh, run for to become the leader of the SNP and therefore first minister of Scotland. Um, and already you'll have seen over the weekend, long before she even kind of went public, there was a, a lot of discussion about her faith and how that might intersect and interact with her run for, for the highest office in the land. Um, Emma, I want to start with you. Have you been surprised that this is such a feature of the coverage or did you kind of expect that this would happen inevitably? Uh, I think I think we all knew it would be inevitable. We've, we've seen poor old Tim Farron go through this before when he was leader of the Liberal Democrats. And, uh, you know, I was kind of hopeful. And, and it's interesting because there has been a range of coverage and, and Kate Forbes has previously spoken about her faith in a very outspoken way and in a, in a way that has actually been fairly well received. But I don't think anybody is surprised that, yet again, someone wants to pull apart the, the views of a Christian politician. Um and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the in the weeks ahead as the campaign gets underway. Hmm. Sam, do you expect a rerun of that kind of now infamous Tim Farron experience, or do you think British politics has changed since since that time? I do fear a rerun. In fact, you could argue it's already happening. So one national newspaper that will remain nameless, the first line of their article says, a devout Christian with a decidedly old-fashioned take on 21st century morality. Now, I know, you know, people listening to this right now would not consider their morality as old-fashioned. And I think that's quite a derogatory way of describing someone's ethics. So I am concerned that already we're seeing um, this kind of sneering attitude amongst some towards the Christian faith and and Kate Forbes will be under pressure, unfortunately, because of that. And and I do think what happened with Tim Farron was significant, not only for Tim Farron, but for Christians more generally in public life. Um, so I hope I hope I'm proven wrong, but I fear the worst. Hmm. Some of the, the, as you say, you mentioned some of the headlines, uh, the Daily Telegraph said, this is before she'd even come out and said she's actually going to run. Um, is she simply too Christian to lead a modern political party? Um, while a piece in the New Statesman opined, uh, profound and difficult questions will be asked in the coming days, and they'll place Forbes in a very difficult position indeed. Uh, what I'm really struck by is not only the focus immediately on her faith as what kind of marks her out as a politician, but also the idea that this is going to be a huge difficulty for her when actually, as as you mentioned, Emma, she's never really been coy about where she comes from and what she believes. I mean, there was that amazing quote she gave to Nick Robinson, you know, I believe in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for me, he saved for me, and that my calling is to serve and love him. I mean, she's she's refreshingly, some would say, quite upfront and happy to talk about what she believes. Yeah, she is. And she, and she does communicate her faith really well. And I think that um, uh, last year she did an interview with Tim Farron for Premier um, for their Mucky Business podcast. And, and he even reflected in that, um, which is very sweet, of how well she handles it and, and even sort of said to her, kind of, I wish I could learn, I could have learned some lessons from you and the way you did it in, in what I went through, which I thought was lovely. Um, but she, she said in that, that it, she felt it was important to be clear about it. And she felt felt it was important to always sort of think through how you communicate your faith and she said like I'm, I'm not perfect I've made mistakes in this but she said um, I, I like to think about it like as if I was having a conversation with a friend or or someone on, a, on you know next to me on the train or on a bus and if I can't communicate how wh what I think and feel about a certain issue to, to a general member of the public then I can't expect the media to, to understand it and not to misrepresent it I think she's well aware that the media will 
misunderstand and misrepresent. Um, but I also think she does an incredibly good job of communicating as clearly as she can. She also said that she she values being part of the SNP and that it's a modern party with a wide variety of views. And she also communicated very clearly that which I think we all understand about politics if we actually take a moment to stop and think about it. And, and that is that politics in the UK um, is a democracy and therefore whatever the personal views of any one person within a political party and even heading a political party, it doesn't mean that everything is going to curtail to their one view. And that is regardless of whether they're a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Sikh, an atheist, a secularist, you know, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter whether my my view on every subject matches the person um, leading the, com- the country. We are a democracy and they work within a political system. So I think it's a little bit ludicrous, really, to start saying a Christian couldn't be the leader of Scotland. You know, we wouldn't say Rishi Sunak can't lead the UK because he's a Hindu. That would probably be deemed to be deeply racist. But somehow when it uh, applies to Christians, it's just fair game. And and then we're back to the, the same old argument, aren't we? Does this always just happen to the Christians? I mean, you dug out a, a quite astonishing piece by quite a senior kind of columnist in, in Scotland um, who kind of said, before I can even consider Kate Forbes, you know, here are the questions I want her 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 to kind of answer. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, this was a tweet this morning by uh, Times journalist Kenny Farquharson. and he basically said he wants her to hold a seminar on practical theology and moral philosophy and, and explain her religious views um, before he'll even consider what she could or couldn't bring to the leadership competition. And and he wants to know her, her view on a whole range of things from abortion law to assisted dying to embryo and stem cell research um, and all sorts of things. When pushed, and to be fair to him, you know, people have pushed back on Twitter and would you demand this of any anyone else and he says absolutely I want to know where all of my political leaders stand on these issues whether they are Catholic Hindu or Muslim but this will be particularly pertinent and interesting in Scotland because one of the other candidates is a Muslim so you know we are if if this if this does take off in the media I hope and pray that someone does push back and say, well, OK, well, let's do this fairly then across all of the candidates, whether they have an alternative religious view or no religious belief at all. What do you think, Sam? Are we seeing another example of kind of double standards for evangelicals here? It's going to feel that way if this kind of coverage um, continues. It's been said before that if you're a Roman Catholic, you'll be asked about abortion. Um, if you're a Muslim politician, you, know, you might be asked about terrorism. Um, and if you're an evangelical Christian, you're going to be asked about same-sex relationships. And and there's this kind of unfortunate stereotyping that goes on that isn't fair on any of those any of those examples, not just the Christian one. It's not, it's not fair on the Muslim one. It's not fair on the Catholic one. It's not fair on the evangelical one either. So there's a bit of media, media stereotyping that goes on. I think the Christian response to this, you know, many, many Christians, many churches will make a point of praying for our leaders uh, many churches every Sunday will pray for political leaders, the government, the king. And and there's a biblical injunction here to pray for those in power and those in leadership. And I think Christians this week will be wanting to pray quite specifically for Kate Forbes, that as she comes under this kind of scrutiny that does seem to be based on her faith, uh, that she would have strength to withstand that and to withstand some of the unfair criticism. Because there's plenty of fair criticisms you could make of Kate Forbes and other politicians on policy, on what they want to do, what they believe in politically. But I do think it starts to get a bit unfair, whereas this kind of, as you say, demanding that a politician holds a theological seminar 
um, is quite a bizarre reaction, especially from parts of the political spectrum that are forever um, forever telling people to, to keep their politics and their religion separate. Uh, I mean, what do you want here? Do you want Kate Forbes to, to keep her religion out of it? Or do you want her to give a full-on seminar on everything she believes theologically? You can't really have it both ways. To play devil's advocate for a second, isn't there an argument that it's not really necessarily about religion per se, but it's about the the disparity between her personal convictions and the party she seeks to lead? You know, she is believed to be, you know, anti-abortion or at least, you know, less pro-abortion than 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 her party is. She's she's been opposed to gay marriage in the past. She's she's previously expressed skepticism about some of the gender reforms that Nicola Sturgeon was spearheading. Is it really credible that she can take over a party like the SNP, which is generally deemed to be quite socially progressive, when we know that in personally she is opposed to all these things? Is is that really that's actually a political argument, not necessarily a faith argument? I think if that's the case, then they shouldn't have let her in in the first place. Um, if, if that's if that's your view that as the SNP you can't hold a particular theological position or biblical position, then why was she allowed to be a in the SNP at all, um, it shouldn't shouldn't it be you're not allowed in the door at all, um, and you weed people out that way. But she's allowed to not only be part of the party, play a very very key role, risen through the ranks. And this is the thing about Kate Forbes; she's incredibly young, has taken on a huge job, um, and done incredibly well at it. Stepped in at the very last minute as finance minister. Uh, a lot of people praising her politically. Seems like a good all round rising star, young politician. There's a lot to be said for her that's positive. And so it's a shame when we start attacking politicians based on their their private moral beliefs, um, which I don't think is is fair. Mm. Yeah, and I think what's nice is that you know she has had some colleagues um, go on record. Um, a fellow MSP, Ivan McKee, who's a who's a self declared atheist, um, told Times Radio at the weekend that um, he absolutely thought she was the best candidate, and he he said. If we get to the point where we're saying that people of a certain faith can't hold political office because of their faith, then that would be a very concerning situation. And I think that is that's exactly what Sam was saying. And it, that, that is that is a very worrying and important consideration to make in a country like the UK, which is a democracy. If if you are actually saying we will not accept a Christian as the leader of a national politi- political party, then then what does that say about us as a nation and where we are and what does it say about us accepting other people of diverse faiths as well Hmm. i think the other point on this is is actually around compromise which i know is a very dirty word amongst christians that we shouldn't compromise what we believe but the truth is in politics you have to compromise in order to progress in your career and so i think you know applying that to kate forbes let's say for the sake of argument that in her own personal life kate forbes could never personally go through with an abortion because she doesn't feel that's ever morally justified just because she holds that view i would i would argue she, she wouldn't be able to be that hard line in her political career in order to progress. And actually, I think that's fine. I think there does have to be an element of compromise because of what Emma was saying um, about we live in a democracy and you have to work with other people. So I would argue someone like Kate Forbes, like any other politician, and regardless of what their beliefs are, they're going to have to compromise a little bit, by which I mean you still hold your own personal view on the rights and wrongs of abortion. But you don't go into politics say, I'm going to completely overturn this law tomorrow because you would, you'd never get anywhere. And there has to be a bit of give and take. So again, I think it's it's unreasonable 
even if Kate Forbes holds what are seen as hardline evangelical views. I don't think it's reasonable to think this is some sort of Trojan horse and you know, once she gets in power, everything's going to be completely unturned because politics just doesn't work that way. And if you want to be a successful politician like Kate Forbes is, you don't operate in that way. Yeah, and that's what almost most frustrates me about some of the commentary that Emma was mentioning before is, you know, you know, demanding a moral and philosophical seminar is this idea that is she aspiring to be some kind of dictator of Scotland who, when she wins the, the first ministership, is now able to impose her views uh, at will on the electorate as though there wasn't a parliament with hundreds of MSPs who would need to vote through any changes to abortion law or assisted dying or, or anything like that. It's just a slightly naive approach which I think we don't hold, you know, we're quite comfortable with the idea that politicians might have strongly held views that they disagree with on their party. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn spent 20, 30 years as a backbencher in the Liberal Party disagreeing with pretty much everything Tony Blair ever did. And no one had any issue with the fact that these two people could coexist in one party because that's democracy. But then when those views are, are based on or maybe connected to someone's faith as opposed to their political ideology, suddenly there is a, there's this kind of, a, as Sam said, an anxiety about you know, the, the sinister influence of, of shadowy evangelicals in, in, in the public sphere, which is just, it just seems slightly hysterical, if nothing else. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's kind of like a, a candidate coming out and being like, I'm morally opposed to low tax or high tax or anything else. And everyone being like, well, you can't possibly lead a party because you might. It just doesn't work like that, does it? We all know that. There's a cabinet and there's votes and there's procedure and there's protocol. So, yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's the fear mongering from within the media, whether it's kind of just clickbait or generating headlines or being hysterical or lack of religious literacy. But yeah, it does. For me as a Christian, it does get a little bit tiring. I'm like, Can't we talk a little bit? I think more it is further proof. Of, I think it is further proof of, of the story we've been covering, you know, for, for years which is that the, the country as a whole is is becoming less christian by every metric and so you would expect there to be more pressure on christians who are out and who are vocal on their christian moral stances you'd expect there to be more pressure actually from a set from an increasingly secular society and increasingly secular media that doesn't understand these things or is actually diametrically opposed to what christians believe and and i do think there's a there's a practical point there for us as christians to remember that the world we live in is not one where we're being welcomed. Yes, have a seat at the table. Please become more involved in politics. We need your moral voice. Christians increasingly are seen as part of the problem. Uh, they're seen as people who are going against uh, certain cultural and societal trends. And we have to be aware of that. Um, and I think, again, that's why a lot of Christians will be wanting to pray for someone like Kate Forbes, who is in a very public position, who is representing um parts of the Christian church um, to which she belongs and she's representative of some Christians that Christians will be wanting to support her uh, in prayer because I think she's got a tough job. Hmm. I think it also speaks to a kind of which connects to what Sam was saying about just a massive loss of kind of literacy about about Christianity. I think you know 20 or 30 years ago you know there might have been just as many people who had no faith in public life but at least there was a greater kind of understanding of what it meant to be a christian whereas i think a lot of the discussion of this and indeed of tim farron is just reveals an astonishing lack of understanding about how faith works and and you know a lot of the tim because remember tim farron kept emphasizing you know these are my personal views but i'm a liberal and i don't believe in imposing them on others and as the part you know i'm not going to try and turn the lib dems for example into a a pro-life party because that wouldn't is not the view of my you know liberal democrat colleagues and and 
even on the kind of issue, the issue that he was hounded on about his views on, on, on sexuality, again, he kept emphasizing this is, this is my personal views. But I think there is just a, a genuine misunderstanding that Christians take their kind of download their, their, their beliefs en masse in, in, from, from the Bible or from God and then are kind of duty bound to, to enforce them at all will. Which I just, yeah, it is frustrating for those of us who actually are Christians, because it just seems like there's this, this huge, we're just talking past each other all the time. And do you think, um, was it Tony Blair's refusal to get into that, that that meant he was the exception? Sorry for asking the questions. I'm, I'm not the podcast host. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good, it's a good question. I think, I mean, I think there was part of that widespread faith illiteracy in that story as well. Could you recall that he converted to Catholicism, but he waited until after he had stood down as prime minister, um, even though it was kind of widely known that he had kind of switched faith, as it were, to Catholicism several years earlier, but he didn't kind of formally convert to the, to the church. And that was just because he probably correctly and sadly, in my view, thought that it would it would be an issue. He thought that there would there's a kind of latent skepticism about you know the church of rome and is your allegiance to the pope or to the queen and all this kind of nonsense from our complicated history about catholicism um but yeah i think there is he was canny or at least his press people you know the famous we don't do god line from alistair campbell was canny in in trying to neutralize that as an issue um but again the illiteracy comes up again do you remember when it came out that he had he said quite kind of like casually he had prayed with george bush after they had a summit together and the press went into paroxysms of confusion and horror and shock. And every Christian I knew was just saying, well, shock, horror, two Christians who were both Christians doing the same job happened to have a pray together after they met. I mean, it's the most banal thing that could possibly happen. But they were all like, oh, was he asking God whether he should invade Iraq or not? Is this, this is just a complete gulf of understanding what it actually means to live out your life as a Christian. There's one final element we haven't discussed. Sorry to cut you off there, Emma. But um, I was fascinated to see one of the other candidates for leadership, an SMP, um, MSP, called Ash Regan, tweeted that she was utterly appalled by the misogynistic attacks on Kate Forbes because of her faith. Um, it distresses me to witness this. It must have immediately. Do you think that her her gender plays plays a part in this? Do you think she's getting a hard time, particularly around issues around abortion or or those kind of stuff, because she is a woman, because she's a mother on maternity leave, in a way that potentially, you know, a lot of Catholic male politicians who are equally opposed to abortion seem to get a free ride. That's an interesting comment from a fellow female politician, isn't it? Does she feel that she hasn't been, because she hasn't been attacked? I mean, I, I would argue if you've got two females in the running and one of them is being attacked for their faith and one of them isn't because they don't have a faith and obviously the thing she's being attacked for is her faith, not her being a woman. But, you know, I don't I don't know. I suppose as well the question is, <clears throat> if it is misogynistic, is that better or worse than being a religious attack? You know what well, I mean? I mean, misogyny, it would apply to both of them, surely. They would be attacking both of them. Yes, true. But but I, I think you know, the, the, there is a half serious point I'm trying to make somewhere, somewhere in the midst of this, which is, it, it, does society at large see it as a problem that Kate, is, Kate Forbes is being attacked for her religion? Well, I would argue that parts of our society don't seem too bothered because they just think, yeah, she's a bit weird being a Christian and she deserves the attack because her 
the concern is her, her religion is influencing her politics, therefore it's fair game. Whereas if you say she's facing misogynistic attack, I think if it is miso- misogyny, Kate Falls would garner a lot more sympathy from the wider population. The wider population understand that is never okay to attack someone just for being female. Um, so, you know, I want to live in a world where actually all of these protected characteristics are important and it shouldn't matter whether it's misogynistic or it's religious, both are wrong. You shouldn't attack someone for what they believe. You shouldn't attack someone for their gender. You shouldn't attack someone for their sexuality. Um, and so I, I know I'm being slightly, uh, um, provocative perhaps, but, but I do wonder if, if one of those issues is seen as more of a problem in our society than the other. Hmm. Very interesting. I, I raise it in part because I read elsewhere that Ian Blackford, who is a very senior SNP figure who used to, I believe, was the kind of leader of their Westminster delegation. He's apparently also long been a member of the same church, the Free Church of Scotland that Kate Forbes is, and no one has seemed to notice or care. So who knows? Who knows what's going on there? Well, we'll draw it to a close there, guys. Thanks so much for your time and for your thoughts and analysis. Um, uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on a newscast very soon. Um, but thanks for listening, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Bye bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 